Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, the word of our Lord. You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Father, we pray that you would help us to listen to what you would have to say to us in these moments this morning. We pray that you would give us ears to hear and that you would give us selves that are ready to obey. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. When we think of Father's Day, we often think of a perhaps a a cheap and goofy tie. Some of us have gotten a number of those. Um, perhaps we think of nostalgic memories of, of childhood growing up. Characteristics of our own fathers and characteristics of how Father's Day would be spent. Perhaps we, we think of, of grilling out, eating a, uh, a Father's Day lunch of meat and potatoes. Often we think about uh, the fact that it, it's funny. I was, I was talking with... Um, uh, Lindsay's mom uh, this weekend just for a, for a, a, a brief uh, minute she, she said I want to encourage you she said on Father's Day Mother's Day you always hear about how wonderful every mom is and all the moms are amazing and on Father's Day the poor, poor guys get beat up and they're all terrible uh, you know sometimes we think about uh, we, 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 we think about the silly things that are often characteristic the way that fathers are portrayed in uh, uh, in, in, uh, on sitcoms and, and all the different TV shows. Normally we think of dads as buffoons and can't do anything right and that sort of thing. This morning, though, I want us to think about what it means to be fathers in the Lord. And I use that prepositional phrase, in the Lord, in a particular, particular way. I use that phrase in the Lord for a couple of reasons. One being because the passage here in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he says that we are to train up or to bring up children in the Lord, specifically in the training or in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so I want to, to think a little bit about what is being said there and being implied there. But also, I use that phrase, in the Lord, fathers in the Lord, in a very philosophical and theological sense. Because the archetype of fatherhood is found in the nature of God. What it means to be father is found in the heart of eternity. In the heart of eternity. There is 
an eternal person who says not Lord, but who says Father. God is eternally Father. It is God who created what fatherhood is to be. The family was his idea. It was a part of his will, a part of his desire. And so when we think about fatherhood, we do ourselves a great deal of justice if we always keep in mind not just some popular idea of of ideal about fatherhood, but if we keep in our minds God's ideal of what fatherhood ought to look like. When we think of dads, we often think of responsibility. I could probably quote some lyrics here and get a laugh out of Wheezy again. But responsibility is something that we often associate with dads. Responsibility speaks to what ought to be done. It's oughtness, shouldness. And one of the responsibilities that the scriptures places upon fathers and in, in particular, and on families in general, and even more generally on churches, is that children are to be raised up and brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They are to be discipled by those in authority around them and over them. That term, nurture, the New King James uses the term training, which is a really good translation there. It's about discipleship. It's about making disciples. It's a term discipline. To nurture someone is to discipline, which is not necessarily a negative thing. When we hear discipline, we normally think bad. We think, oh goodness, what have they done now? If you hear discipline used in the context of, a, of an evening news cycle, you think, uh-oh, what's happened? Is it a school or a family? Who's, who, somebody's done something bad. But in fact, we wrongly equate punishment with discipline. Punishment in and of itself is not discipline. Punishment without correction is not discipline. Discipline. Discipline is about teaching the way. It's about instilling a sense of oughtness in others. That's why discipleship is related to the term discipline. We get the two terms from the same origin. Discipleship is not punishment. Discipleship is about learning the way, the way to walk, the way to live. And it is a a beautiful responsibility that has been placed on 
churches and on families and on fathers in particular to disciple our families, to disciple our children, to disciple those entrusted to our care by modeling discipleship as we lead them. And it's in that it, it is in that context of responsibility that there are some things that fathers ought to show their children. Fathers ought to show their children what it is to work hard. And this is not just speaking of manual labor. Because there are a variety of ways to work hard. Some of us work very hard with our hands. Perhaps our hands bear the images or the scars of that hard work. Calloused palms, cracked dry knuckles, scars from wounds that we've gained from working hard. Some of us work hard with our minds. Some of you, God has blessed unlike the rest of us and He's made you to have the mind of a genius. The mind of an expert. And a responsibility is placed on your shoulders. To work hard. To show those entrusted to your care what it is to work hard. Some of you have been entrusted with the mind of creativity. The mind that has an eye for beauty. God has called you to work hard in that work. If you spend hardly any time on Facebook or uh, Instagram or any of the social media platforms, then you, you find that there's a newfound interest in manliness in our culture. There's a newfound interest in Beards, you know, you see beards are a lot more common now. You've got the lumberjack look, plaids, everybody's wearing plaids now. But that lumberjack look alone is not what is not what I'm talking about when I say that we have been called to work hard, to show what it is to work hard. All of us in all of life, father or not, we're called to work hard. In fact, Paul says elsewhere that whatever we do, whether it's in word or in deed, whatever we do, we ought to do in the name of Jesus. That we ought to do everything as unto the Lord. Because we serve not men only, we serve God. And so everything we do ought to be done to the best of our ability 
Everything we do ought to be done well. Now this is not to, to, to put upon ourselves some impossible ideal. Because sometimes working hard means you can't put your best effort into everything. Sometimes the yard's just got to get mowed. And there's no time to make sure it's done perfectly. There's no time to make sure that every last one of the weeds has been pulled. But sometimes hard work means just simply getting the job done. And sometimes that hard work goes unpraised. Sometimes if, if, if we're not careful, we begin to feel like we are forgotten or overlooked. And this goes for all of us. Fathers, mothers, non-parents. But the call is still the same. Work hard. Do your best. Show others what it is to work hard. Because there's a responsibility that's placed on each and every one of us. No matter how old, no matter how young, no matter whether you are male or female, everyone is looked to as an example by someone. Everyone. Fathers ought to show their children what it is to keep commitments. When I think of fatherhood, I think of dedication. Lindsay always picks on me. If it's Mother's Day, then I'm going to be talking about making room in our lives for others. She's got a point. I do often point that out at Mother's Day. And if it's Father's Day, I'm going to be talking about faithfulness. Well, here you go. We ought to show our children and show others what it is to keep commitments. Our nostalgic minds might race back to the old phrase, a man's word. Back back to the times when a handshake meant something. When you could depend upon folks to keep their words. When you could... Depend upon folks to honor their commitments, to be dedicated. I remember in Little League, it didn't matter how hot the baseball season got, I wasn't quitting the team. And I don't recall very often thinking about quitting, but I knew that was, that was a non-starter. That wasn't even a conversation to bring up with my dad, nor my mom for that matter. Because when you make a commitment, you honor it. Just yesterday, uh, during, uh, during the, the business session of, of the AIM annual meeting, Bill was making the plea and building the case that if we're about to vote on this budget, when you say I, you're committing to honoring this budget. You're committing yourself to making this work. 
a little league may seem like something quite little. But through playing for teams in Little League Baseball, I learned what it was to be dedicated. I learned what it was to play not for myself, not for my stats, not for if I could get another hit, but to play for the sake of the team. Now some some might ridicule me for this, but I remember also growing up pulling for the Saints. Year after year after year, season after season after season, abysmal failure after abysmal failure after abysmal failure. But that was the team. That was the team that we pulled for. That was the team that we had always pulled for. Thankfully, as I've grown up, I've seen a little bit of the the fruit from those laborious pullings of those terrible teams. But I grew up also watching the Braves. You see, living in Mississippi, in the middle of Mississippi, the closest football team was down in New Orleans, and the closest baseball team was all the way over here in Atlanta. And I pulled for those Braves through really terrible seasons because that was the team. That was the team you pulled for. You didn't didn't cut your losses and go find a better team. That was a shameful thing. We still pick on folks for being bandwagon fans. Every time there's a football national championship, all the memes now start generating about all the, all the kids that are going to have those baseball caps at, uh, you know, next week in school. Growing up in Mississippi, you also know, knew what it was to have uh, college football teams that were subpar, let's say. I bring up all these silly uh, football and baseball references to highlight the absurdity of the fact that we can be committed to things that really just don't matter in the end. We can be committed to our baseball team that we don't even play on. Our football team that we've never even been to see a game for. How much more ought we be committed and honor the commitments that we've made to those things that do matter? Those things like a congregation that has invested life into us. Those things like a family that we've built together. Those things like little trusting eyes that look up to us for help and for stability, for dedication. Again, I will repeat. Every single one of us is being looked to for an example and as an example by someone. 
Fathers ought to show their children what it is to have mercy. It's not coincidental and it's not just an afterthought that Paul began the verse before he called the Ephesians to bring their children up. He challenged the fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Nothing can crush the human spirit quite like an overly harsh father. We need to be people of mercy. People of compassion. People who, yes, have high standards and high expectations and want to see hard work and want to see commitment and want to see faithfulness. But people who have a sense of mercy that is honorable. It's interesting that if you look at all of Paul's New Testament epistles, and if you look in the first few verses of every last one of them, from Romans all the way to Philemon. You forgot Philemon's in your Bible. It's in there. Every last one of them, Paul begins after he says who he is and to whom he's writing and why he's writing. He then very quickly says, he ends that, that, that introduction by saying, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single one of those, he says, grace and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single one except three. There are three of them. His two letters to Timothy and his one letter to Titus. In those three, he actually changes his form a little bit. And he says grace, mercy, and peace. Only in those three. Interestingly enough, it's only in those three that he refers to Timothy and he refers to Titus in all three of those letters as a son in the faith. He considers them his very own. He has poured his Life into these two young men who are pastoring churches. He has invested himself in them. And his prayer of blessing on their lives is not just grace and peace, which are two wonderful virtues that he prays over all of the churches and that he prays over all of those recipients of his letters. But he prays specifically for these two sons in the faith. These two in whom he has invested his life, he prays for God's grace and peace and also mercy to be theirs. It is important that we know when to show mercy. It is important that we have a sensitivity 
about us that keeps our pressure a bit in check. Because every last one of us needs a little bit of mercy. There are times when all of us blow it. All of us make messes. We never grow out of it. It's amazing. If you'll allow me to be a bit self-deprecating here. When the kids spill a drink or make a mess, my natural inclination is to get hot about it. Why was that drink in here? I told you to hold it with both hands. Lindsay's default is always messes can be cleaned up. We all need to be able to show what it is to have mercy. Doesn't mean that messes are okay. After all, they need to be cleaned up. But it does mean that a little bit of mercy can go a long way. Fathers ought to show their children. And here's where I'm going to start preaching to you, dads. What it is to love God. That ought to begin with fathers. In the ancient world, it was the father of the family who served as a priest, so to speak, for the family. It was Job who offered sacrifice in behalf of his grown kids. On the, on the chance that perhaps they have offended God, he would, he would offer sacrifice in their behalf. They knew in Job that they had a man who cared about their spiritual lives and their spiritual well-beings. It is in the context of the family that discipleship is supposed to take place, not just the context of the church. And it is in the context of the love of a father that what it is to love the eternal father ought to be displayed. Moms and dads both. This is for you. If you're not praying over your children, if you're not praying with your children, if you're not taking some time to read some scripture with your children, you're missing out. You're missing out on an opportunity. If you'll allow me to 
make a little play on words, I will indulge. A family altar can alter a family. A family altar can alter a family. It's never too late to start. And I do not present myself or my family as the archetype of what that ought to look like. Because we are not, I am not. But some prayer is better than no prayer. And some scripture is better than no scripture. I remember being a senior in college and going to, uh, he wasn't my advisor, but he was one of my professors that had invested so, so much time and effort and thought into my life. And I looked to him as a bit of a mentor and I went to him and I, I, I was beating myself up over failing as I thought I was on, on scripture reading and just not doing enough, not growing enough, not putting in enough time and energy into it and praying at the wrong time of the day because I was too busy in the morning. I, I woke up too late. And so I'm just tacking on some scripture reading at the end of the day. Or perhaps it's the end of the day and I'm in the middle of prayers and, and I fall, I'm falling asleep because I'm tired. It's late. It's three o'clock in the morning after all, right? And I was beating myself up and talking about all my failings and all of my shortcomings. And I, and I, I said, you know, I don't know what I want other than just to have somebody to, to cry to and whine about this to. And he told me, he said, you know, he said, it's not so much how much you get into the Word as it is how much the Word gets into you. And in hearing that simple statement it was like immediately my perspective changed it wasn't that I thought oh okay it doesn't matter then it wasn't that it was immediately I was able to look back and see not just how I had fallen short but how I had grown the fact that I'm concerned that I'm not reading enough or praying enough that was a good thing that was a sign of growth And for our families, look, we all have busy lives. Some of us, our kids are older. Some of us, our kids have moved out. Married. Living in other states. David's got kids living in another country. So we might think, wait a minute, how, how am I, how I going to be that ideal example of, of what it is to love God? You can be an example of what it is to love God. I remember... Growing up, getting older, and thinking about all the things that used to embarrass me, things I used to be timid about, particularly things in public, things around other people, and thinking, you know, as a kid, you're always worried about who's going to pick on you, who's going to laugh at you, and all that sort of thing. When, as I got older, I began to realize, man, I'm a man. 
I'm I'm a guy. I've, especially after I had kids, I thought I don't care what the random stranger in the mall thinks about me. I created a person. There are times where we feel awkward saying, "Hey, uh, can can we pray about this?" You know, we we, and it's funny. Even in the context of family, the people that we share life with, sometimes it can be awkward to break that ice and say, "Hey, I know we hadn't done this in a long time, and I know this might be kind of weird, but you mind if we pray? You mind if we read together?" Fathers ought to show their children what it is to love God. And all of us, each and every one of us, ought to show others who are looking to us as examples what it is to love God. Father's Day, we often get that um, that awkward um, feeling of, okay, I'm... I'm not a father. I'm not even a guy. Or my kids have grown up and are gone. I'm just a kid. All sorts of questions that uh, that that kind of muddy the waters a little bit about how to address fatherhood on a Father's Day that come up. And I want to offer you some. Just some words of of advice, things that we can all, or most of us, can implement in our lives in light of Father's Day. And these are, there's nothing ingenious or unique or different about these. You've probably heard these a thousand times. First, we can honor... Father's Day was created after Mother's Day, but Mother's Day was created by a lady whose mom was dead and she wanted to honor the memory and the sacrifice and the dedication of her mom. We can honor our living parents and we can honor the memory of our deceased parents by how we live our lives. And some of us, unfortunately, have the opportunity to honor them more than they might deserve. But we can honor them. We have received this life as a gift and we can use it and live it well. Some of us have the opportunity to be a father figure to kids who are in need. I believe just this week, just this weekend, Kelly sent out an email to several of us about some events that are coming up with the uh, the Children's Center. And those kids are quite literally in need of father figures and mother figures in their lives. People who invest themselves in these kids.
we have the opportunity to pour our lives into the lives of others, others who need to see examples, others who need to see faithfulness and dedication and hard work and mercy and a passionate love for God. And all of us ought to and have the opportunity to draw closer to the archetype of fatherhood, the eternal father. He is the one that sets the agenda for what it is to be a father. He is the one who throughout all of eternity is addressed as father. And he is the one who waits before us with his arms wide open begging us, imploring us, inviting us to come in and to receive His embrace. We ought to all draw close. Let's pray.